for leading us this morning. And if you have your Bible, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And while you're opening, I, Brother Charles told me a, a story I want to share with you. He said that one day God went to Adam and he said, Adam, I'm going to give you a helper and she will be called woman and she will be your friend and she will cook for you and she will clean your home and she will be kind and she will be gentle, help you with all things in life. And when you argue, she will always admit that she is wrong and you are right. And Adam thought for a moment, and he said, God, that sounds really good. What will that cost me? And the Lord responded, an arm and a leg. And then Adam said, what can I get with a rib? And the rest is history. <clears throat> Genesis 3 introduces us to a serpent. And from our New Testament perspective, we clearly see that it is the work of Satan who has somehow manifested himself into the form of a reptile. Satan is the angel who fell into sin. We don't know exactly when that happened. I believe it was in Genesis chapter 2 because at the end of Genesis 1, it says the Lord looked and all that he created was good. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we meet the serpent. The timeline suggests that a very uh, quick, short amount of time had passed between the end of creation and the fall of Satan. Adam and Eve had not yet conceived any children, and the tempter wasted no time. He wanted to strike at the head of the human race before they had the opportunity to multiply. And so we're going to see three different main points this morning. We're going to start with the schemes of the devil, and then the fall of man, and then the work of God. And I will admit to you, I feel like I bit off more than I can chew today. We have a lot to cover, and I know that makes you nervous. We will get out on time, give you my word on that, but we have a lot to cover, and so we've got to move rather quickly today. So have your Bible open in front of you, and let's look here at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The first thing I want you to see is that the enemy will come and question the words of God. He questions the words of God. The enemy comes in disguise as this serpent and begins to question God. He says, did God actually say Skepticism is implied by the question. He's raising doubt to the truthfulness of what God has said and insinuating that she is to be suspicious of the motives of God's statement. The enemy will come and he will twist the words of God and change what God actually said. Look back at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we see what God actually said. He says, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. 
So imagine the beautiful garden and the Lord has Adam and he takes Adam and says, Adam, look around. Look at all the beauty. All of this is yours. Everything that you see is yours. Except for the one tree, the one tree, stay away from that, but everything else is yours. It is very much a positive statement. It's a statement that is filled with great blessings and opportunities, but when the enemy comes, he misrepresents the word of God and makes it a negative. And oh my goodness, the enemy does that with skill today. There is such generosity that the Lord has bestowed upon us. But yet I know many Christians who feel like they are burdened down because they are a child of God. They feel like they are weighed down because of their faith. And they will say things like this, well, it's Sunday, I've got to go to church today. Listen, you don't have to be here this morning. We get to be here this morning. Amen? There's a huge difference between those two. We get to come. We get to sing the songs. We get to open up the precious word of God. But when we get the mindset that it's not positive, but it's negative, then bad things happen. Can I tell you, if you're a child of God this morning, that is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. You being a child of God, it supersedes everything else that is good in your life. And I'll also remind you that everything good in your life is directly from God. Everything you've got, the, the air in your lungs in this moment, that is a gift from God. The way that you can look around and you can see the brilliant colors and the beauty around you, that's a gift from God. The fact that you have a home to go to with food in the fridge and money in the bank and you have beautiful relationships and children or a spouse or what you have, it's all a great gift from God. You've got to realize, I've got to realize who God is because the enemy wants to manipulate it and make positive things actually negative things. And so he comes and he begins to question the word of God. Did God really say and it happens today all around us. Not just with the lost world, but with believers. Even with mainline denominations. Did God really say that marriage is to be between one man and one woman for life? Did God really say that? Did God really say that there's a, a definition of manhood and womanhood and it complements each other beautifully? Did God, did God really say that? Did God really say that there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong and there is a standard by which we are to live our life? Did God actually say that? And we live in a world where folks want to take away and they say, well, that doesn't fit our time. God's not wrong, the times are wrong, amen? People say, well, it doesn't fit our culture. We live in the year 2023. That's antiquated. That's an old way of thinking. Surely God really didn't mean that. God really meant what he said in his word. It's the enemy that comes in and desires to twist it and to change it into the culture that we live in. It all starts when we begin to question the words of God. But number two, I want you to see that he came to question the character of God. Look back at verse 1. Did God actually say? Now, this one might be a bit subtle. But if you look back in your Bible and you look at the previous paragraphs, in chapter 2, we see man and God together. 
every time that man relates to God, from chapter 2 up to this point, the Lord is referred to as the Lord God. Look at it. If you don't believe me, look. 11 times he is referred to as the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. But then we get to chapter 3, verse 1, and it doesn't say Lord God. What does it say? Simply God. And the enemy is coming, and he's calling into question the character of God. He's trying to separate the relationship between man and God and instead make God some distant creator being who has no interaction with his creation. He's not just a distant God, but he is my Lord God. I have a personal relationship with him. And so he comes in with this subtle notion that he's not the Lord, but he's simply God. And look at how Eve responds. Look at verses 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You should not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She used the same language the serpent used. She did not refer to him as Lord God, but simply as God. You say, well, it's just one small compromise. You know that's how the enemy works, don't you? It is one small compromise after the other. When you find one who is an alcoholic, they never wanted to be an alcoholic. It was one compromise after the other that led to that state. When you find a marriage that has been destroyed, no one wanted the family to be destroyed, but it was one compromise after the other after the other that led to destruction. And I just want you to realize this morning that you have an enemy that wants to destroy all that is good in your life. There is an enemy like a roaring lion, the Bible says, and he wants to come into your life, into your world, and bring destruction upon you. And so he works in subtle ways. Well, the woman corrects the serpent, and she says, well, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God didn't say that. Go back in chapter 2. God never told Adam and Eve not to touch the tree, but Eve was not there. And so I can picture Adam taking Eve, and they go on a walk, and they look at the garden, and maybe he says, now, Eve, all of this is ours. It's beautiful. All these trees, all the garden, it is amazing. But there's this one tree. That tree, don't touch it. In fact, don't even get close to it. Have nothing to do with that one tree. Now, God simply said don't eat from it, but Adam probably added to it. And so Eve's thinking we cannot even touch this. It's kind of a good idea. If something is sinful, we need to stay far away from it. Amen? We realize that temptation is there, and so we are to avoid it. But I just want to make note that she's exaggerating from the statement of God. And so he comes in, and he begins to question the character of God. But then there's, there's, another, there's another that we see. He comes into it. Let me find it. I, I shut my, my Bible on my spot here. Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 3. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
he comes and says, it's a lie. God is not right. You see, when you eat of it, three things are going to happen. Your eyes are going to be opened. You'll be like God. You will know good and evil. The serpent comes in and says, this is going to be what's best for your life. God is trying to hold back from you. God is not providing what is best for your life, but you know what is best for your life. You know what is good. You know what is right. Don't listen to God, but rather instead trust yourself. And in that is the lie that so many people have bought into in their life. The lie that I know better than God does. The lie that my way is best. And we have a world of people who are trying to be God. It's the same temptation that the devil fell into. Isaiah says that he wanted to be God. And so he fell because he was trying to take the spot of God. People do that all the time. We have folks who are trying to build up their own kingdom. This is my kingdom. This is my world. It's all about me. And they're not living for the things of God. They are living simply for themselves. And so he says, if you give into it, if you bite into it, your life is actually going to be better off. Can I just tell you this also? God wants what's best for your life. God wants you to, to, to succeed in life. He wants your life to count. He wants your life to have a purpose in it. And if we miss that, then we're going to miss out on so many good things for the kingdom of God. God's not trying to hold back on you. God has what is good and what is right for you in your life. And so we really need to understand it. Go, go to the next verse here. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I want to look now at uh, the fall of man, the fall of man. Here they are in this moment, and she takes the, the fruit, and she begins to look at it, and she says, well, this really does look pretty good. It looks like something I, I want in my life. And she sees it, and she begins to buy into the lies of the enemy. And that happens often, a whole lot more often than we would like to understand it. There's an appeal to sin. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes, and it was desired to make one wise. So she took of the fruit, and she ate. Now, we also see here where Adam all of a sudden shows up. Verse 6, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She does what many of us do. We know the word of God, but instead we do what we want to do. And Adam shows up. Scripture doesn't say where Adam's been throughout this time, 
but he shows up. Some people believe that Adam was there the entire time because when you look at verses 1 through 5, it is in the plural tense. And so some believe that Adam has been here through the entire dialogue between the serpent and Eve. If that's true, it is really a scary thing to think that Adam stood by and watched as his wife had this conversation with the serpent. It makes me question, where is the man of God? It's a shame to think that Adam could have been there watching by silently as these events took place. What, what a spineless individual to watch her go down this path. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that Adam's act, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread into all men because all sinned. That moment of that fruit, what was the fruit? I don't know. Was it an apple? That's usually the depiction. I don't know if it was an apple. But the moment of biting into that fruit changed everything in the world around us. And we still have the consequences because of it. One wrong decision changed everything. Because of that bite, we have cancer in our world. Anybody here hate cancer? We hate it. This is where it comes from. We have divorce because of this one bite. We have sickness. We have abuse because of this one bite. We live in a fallen world. My wife uh, is a school teacher, and she comes home, and she'll tell me about how they have these lockdown drills at school. And so they will have an alarm go off, and that means that all the children have to get in a corner of the room, and they have to close the blinds and barricade and be prepared in case a gunman would come into the school. And our kindergartners and first graders have to learn this. What a terrible world that we live in. How much evil is around us to think that a gunman would go into a room of children to bring death and destruction. It all goes back to this sinful world that we are a part of. Adam and Eve sinned, and there's a curse upon us because of this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Eve was deceived, but Adam knew exactly what he was doing. There's a more important reason that Adam is the head. It's because he represents humanity. Adam was to be the leader of his family. Let me talk to the men just for a moment. Biblically, men, we're to lead our families. Amen? And I know a lot of men who they go to their jobs and they work diligently. They work hard. They show leadership. They are courageous. And then they come home and they make the wife do all the leading of the family. It's not the woman's job to lead the family. It is the man's job to stand up and to lead his family, especially in spiritual truths. It's the man of the home to come and to lead his wife and children towards the things of God. It's not the job of the woman. And so you say, well, Eve ate the fruit first. Why do we read so much about the fall of Adam? Because Adam was the legal delegate before God for the entire human race. And God has set that up even in the families that the man is to lead his home. It says in Romans, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Jesus does 
what Adam failed to do. Jesus does what Adam never could accomplish when he lives, and he lives a perfect life. Next thing I want you to see is the empty promises of sin. You see, the serpent was right about one thing. Eating the forbidden fruit opened their eyes, and so they now know good and evil. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. So they eat the apple, they sin, and immediately the Bible says they are naked. That is, they are, they are guilty, they are vulnerable, they have been deceived, and the promise of becoming divine does not come about, for one cannot be divine by defying God. The enemy is full of empty promises, and when you find out they are empty, it's always too late. Adam and Eve no longer are at ease with each other. There is mistrust in their relationship. And now when they look at each other, they realize that they are naked. And with that nakedness comes shame, remorse, and regret. And so what do they do? They have a problem. And they look at this problem, and the problem is there is nakedness. And they do what many folks do. They try to fix it themselves. They don't run to God and say, God, I messed up. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I repent. But instead, they try to fix their problems on their own. And the way they do so is they find a fig tree, and they begin to pull fig leaves off of the tree to cover up for their sin. And they get more and more and more fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Do you realize that people do that today? People today, they realize that they are sinful, that they have fallen and they have shame and they have regret and they have remorse, but rather than run to God, they try to fix it themselves. And so they, they get the fig leaves and they begin to cover their, their body. And some folks think the fig leaves are going to church. And if I go to church enough, I can cover for my sin. But listen, it never works. Some folks think if I'm a good enough person, if I do more good things in life than bad things, then it will cover my sin. But it is never enough. Human religion and education and self-esteem, they're never enough to cover the sin in our life because only the shed blood of Jesus can do so. Our best efforts are all in vain. All the man-made remedies combined are no more effective for fixing our problem than covering our bodies with fig leaves. And so then you see the shame. Look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You see what they did when they had sin? They, they run and they begin to hide from God. They run and they begin to hide to get away from the presence of God. That's what happens in our life when we have sin. The Bible says that sin separates us from God. And I have found folks who, when they begin to give in to temptations, you find that they want less and less to do with the things of God. It's a cycle. The enemy gets you to sin to question the words of God, to question the character of God. And when you give in, you begin to get further and further and further 
away from God. I've seen it in my life, and you likely have seen it from your life. The enemy is working. He's working today maybe in ways like we've never seen before. There's so much evil. There's so much corruption around us. There's so many folks, even good folks, who are buying into the lies of the enemy. And they're, they're going in, and then they're living in so much shame and so much guilt. But now I want you to see, lastly, the work of God. I want you to see that God seeks after man. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Who messed up in our story? Adam and Eve messed up, amen? They messed up in a big way. But do you notice what God does? God still comes and he looks for Adam and Eve. Do you know what it shows us? It shows us how much God loves his people. Even though they messed up, even though they sinned in a big way, God still comes and he comes after his people. Realize this, there's no sin in your life that is too big for the love of God. There's nothing in your life that you've done that is too much so that God says, I don't want you any longer. There's no regret or there's no shame that should keep you away from God because he is actively pursuing you. The reason that you're a child of God to begin with is because we have a Savior who seeks after his people. And so the Lord comes, he's looking for Adam and Eve. He says, where are you? He knows where they are, but he wants them to realize what they are doing. Have you eaten the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Look at verse 12. And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. I always have to chuckle when I read that one. What does he do? He says, wait a minute, God. Yep, we messed up. It's not my fault, though. You see, that woman, she did it. It's her fault. And by the way, you gave me that woman. And so it's not my fault. If anything, it's your fault. And we do that today. We say, well, God, I messed up, but you made me the way that I am. Nobody wants to take any blame. They're still trying to push the blame around. Eve does the same thing. The Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Again, it's not my fault. The serpent made me do it. Listen, when we sin, it's our fault. We've got to realize that we mess up, we fall short, we fail. It is on us. It's on me, and it is on you. The Lord makes no argument. He doesn't entertain any dialogue. He comes seeking after his children. And when there is sin, there is always punishment. And so next thing we see is that God punishes sin. He punishes the serpent. Look there at verses 14 and 15. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. Lead us to believe maybe they had legs before this. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Let's pause for a moment. Is there anybody here who really hates snakes? 
All right, see, I've got folks, and they will come and they will say, you know, Case, there are some good snakes and there are some bad snakes. And I just want to tell you, every snake deserves to die, right? <laughs> and so here's a biblical reference that every snake deserves to die right here. There's enmity between the beast and the woman. And now listen, this is good. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, you'll notice it talks about offspring. So when Eve hears that, she realizes this is not the end. I'm going to have offspring. I'm going to have children. But then he says something very specific. He, and in yours it might be capitalized, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The he he's talking about, you know who the reference is to? It's to Jesus. Already in Genesis 3, it's pointing forward to Jesus. You're going to bite at his heel. You're going to sting a little bit. You're going to bring some chaos, but don't worry because there's coming a time when he's going to crush you under the heel of his foot. And that's what Jesus did. Amen? When Jesus came and he lived on this life and he died on the cross and he rose again on the third day, he took that evil, nasty enemy of Satan and he put him under his foot and he stomped it into the ground just like what we read way back in Genesis 3. It's pointing to the coming Messiah that will set everything right. Can I just tell you, God always has a plan in this moment, the enemy thought, I have won, I have corrupted humanity, there's no hope. But way back, God tells Adam and Eve, this is not the end. There's better things to come. Listen to me, your life, you may look at your life and you might see some, some mistakes. You might see some bad things. You might look at your life and say, well, that's it. I'm of no use to the kingdom of God. I'm of no use to anyone any longer. Do you know that, that God can always bring good out of bad circumstances? That's the power of the God that we serve, the power of the God that we live for. He says, I'm just going to tell you what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to set all of this right. There's going to be some punishment. There are always consequences to sin. It's true in my life and to your life. But God always has a plan. The God of peace, Romans 16 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God is larger. God is bigger than your sin. This was the guarantee that her race was not to be hopelessly subordinated by the evil one's dominion forever because there is coming one who will destroy the serpent. There, there's other punishment to the, the woman. I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. Any women say amen to that? In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire should be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And so what was once a beautiful picture of a man and woman, now there are conflict points and there are arguments the relationship is not pure there's a punishment upon man you will work by your sweat by the thorns and the thistles it'll be hard work the labor will not be easy we see that today you might look at your yard and your yard is dead right now because it's so dry but do you notice the weeds still find a way to live the weed still comes up but the good grass has been dead for months now 
The work is hard. The labor is tough. It is the curse of sin. The last thing I want you to see is that God covers sin. Look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. In order for God to do this, an animal had to die. They were walking around and they had these fig leaves on and God said, that's not enough. Let me take care of you. Again, it shows his love toward his children. And an animal had to die so that their sin could be covered. Hebrews 9, it says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. When this happened, it pointed to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here was sin, and the fig leaves were not enough. Man's attempts were not enough. And so God said, let me take care of this for you. And he made the sacrifice, and he covered their nakedness, and he took away their shame and their guilt from their life. Do you know that the only way that you can be healed from your problem of sin is when you put on the white robe of righteousness that only comes through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that we can be saved today. Coming to church this morning, I'm glad you're here. That's great. It'll never save you. Being a good man or a good woman, great. It'll never save you. It'll never be enough. If you give all your money to the church today, we will spend it. But it won't save you. It will never be enough. None of your works, nothing that you do will ever be good enough. It will always fall short. The only way of salvation is for the Lord to cover our sin, for him to take it away through the blood that was shed. And so when you look back at this, you see it all points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything that we do is about Jesus. People look at the Old Testament and they say, well, I don't like the Old Testament. It doesn't talk about Jesus. Yes, it does. It all points toward Jesus and what he's going to do. And today we celebrate not what he's going to do, but what he has done. Has anyone experienced freedom from sin because of Jesus? Do we live that moment? We live it. We're excited about it. It's why we're here today. Because we live for Jesus, it changes everything. We see the schemes of the enemy. We see the attacks. We see where he takes the word of God and he tries to belittle it over and over and over. And he tries to question, but we know Jesus so we don't buy into the lies. We see the sin around us and we recognize that there are empty promises all around us. But we trust that God knows better for our life than we do. And so we trust God. All God's dealings with sinners are reflected in this passage. People disobey God's word, and then because of their guilty fears, they hide themselves. But God searches out the sinners. He draws a confession from them and then covers their guilt and shame with the symbol of his gracious provision. And so I'm just here to tell you today that God is good. Even when we're not, God is good. It's not a story of Adam and Eve. It's a story of the goodness of God. It's a story that even when we mess up and we fail and we fall short, God is still good. God still loves you, and he has a purpose for your life. Let me ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. 
Think about it just for a moment. And I want you to think about what, what the Lord's shown you through this, this passage. We saw the schemes of the devil. And maybe in your life you see ways that the enemy is working. Working to tempt you. Working to draw you away from the things of God. And so maybe your response is to realize what's happening and to say, not today. I'm going to trust God instead. I'm not going to let the enemy get a foothold in my life. But I would begin to be led astray. And we see the fall of man and we realize it brings consequences. The appeal, the lure to sin. Lord, help us not to be lured and enticed by evil. And we saw the work of God, how he seeks after us. And he covers our sin. We're thankful for that. I don't know what you need to do. Maybe you're here and you know you've been saved, but you've lost some excitement. And there's a moment this morning that you just need to say, God, thank you for being so good to me. Thank you for the blessings in my life. Thank you that though I am so sinful, you still love me and you seek after me. Maybe you're here and you've never truly been saved. And today the Lord is calling you, drawing you to salvation. And say, Lord, I want my sins to be covered. Not by my doing, but by what you've done. Maybe you're looking for a church that desires to stand upon the word of God. That's what we, we strive to do is just to stand upon the word of God. And we'd love to have you join us. Lord, we thank you for this day. Pray that you've received glory from it. Lord, I pray that any decision that you're leading, it will be made this morning, God. And that we'll leave this place more like you. It's in the name of Jesus we ask all of this. Amen.